In a world where people strive to conquer the digital landscape, the best leaders are moving forward and planting flags. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear about the thrill of digital victory and the industry's best guidance on how to win with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest installment of the all-new Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, brought to you by the good people at Top Coder right here on the Oil & Gas Global Network. We do love our sponsors here at OGGN, not only uh, for their financial support, which of course we desperately need, but every one of our sponsors is doing great things for the oil and gas industry, and now, uh, even more broadly, the whole energy industry. And of course, Top Coder is no exception. And so, uh, if you don't know about Top Coder, then uh, have a look at topcoder.com, or you can uh, you can go back and listen to episode number one of this podcast because Clinton Bonner is on that episode, and uh, we had a great time. We had a great, it's, it's not a sales pitch. Clinton is an experienced podcaster himself, and we had a great time talking about uh, a bunch of stuff, but that will give you a little bit of education on Topcoder. They are the pioneer in something called open talent models, which might be the thing that will help you get digital done, which is, of course, what this show is all about. And uh, my guest today is uh, is NVIDIA's very own Mark Spieler. Did I say your name right? Is it Spieler? You did. Right? You did. Okay. Spieler. Spieler. Yeah. And uh, NVIDIA, of course, is, uh, and Mark, uh, you guys are, are good friends um, to OGGN. And so today we're going to talk about, um, actually, I don't I forgot to really think about how to sum up what we're talking about today. So, 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 uh, we're, we're, but, we're, but we're talking about getting digital done, and maybe some of the things that you really need to think about um, as you are pursuing all of these really cool initiatives that uh, you got cooking in the lab. Real quick, before uh, Mark, before we jump into it, um, uh, I wanted to I wanted to talk about this article that uh, I just I just saw yesterday. Um, that uh, C3 AI and Shell have uh, have announced a five-year renewal of the agreement. You know, of course, they've been working together for a while on a bunch of AI and machine learning stuff, and this is a renewal and an expansion of of the things that they've been doing. Um, and the areas that they're that they're trying to hit uh, include reliability, asset integrity, process optimization, um, and a bunch of other stuff all across the shell business. Um, it also, this, this agreement that they have, um, and, and Mark, I know that you, you guys in C3AI are friends, so, so, uh, um, so we could talk about this a little bit, but the, it's also supporting this open AI energy initiative. And of course, shell is already famous for starting the op open subsurface data universe, uh, which we talk about quite a lot on these shows, uh, the OAS SDU. This now is the OpenAI Energy Initiative, which also involves Baker Hughes and Microsoft and I know maybe some others. Um, so I guess the, the moral of the story, the reason why I bring this article up, um, and it's an interesting, it's it's interesting if you if you read through here and, and take a look at all the things that they expect, the value that they expect to get out of it. I think the, imp the important thing is that um, people are taking this stuff seriously like they're really um they're, they're they have big expectations and they're investing a lot in some of these um um in, in these ai and machine learning capabilities which of course nvidia is very deeply uh into so let, we'll just kind of hold on to that uh, for a second and and i will mention that uh mark is um what, what you're you like head of 
energy for NVIDIA, right? That's so right. I run the global energy industry. Or, okay, so you, you don't provide all the energy for NVIDIA. No, no, that would be, <laughs> that would not be me. But uh, so we have responsibility for oil and gas and power and utilities. Right, right. So, and you, but you're like a longtime oil and gas energy guy, right? Correct. So, so I, I spent uh, 13 years before NVIDIA with Halliburton in a variety of roles. And then right. I was with Silicon Graphics before that, selling into the energy industry. Right, right. So, and you're here, and I've got to mention that um, uh, Mark and I are sitting uh, here together today at the fabulous Canon on the west side of Houston, where the sun is always shining and the birds are always singing and the people are always happy. Um, so thanks for making the drive down oh, here. No from problem. I don't know where were you coming from? Uh, Meyerland, Bel Air area. My, oh, so um, so the funny thing is we now have traffic again in Houston. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, it was brief, though. It was only 20 minutes. Out yeah, because you're kind of going the opposite, right? right from, we'll see what it's like going back. When, right? when you're going yeah. back, yeah. But we are definitely, um, we're definitely sitting in traffic again here in H-Town. So um, let's see. Where do we want to start? Let's, let's start with this, this story about season. Sure. So these guys, I mean, this is serious, right? They're not just fooling around with this, uh, aiming these capabilities at a whole bunch of different parts of their business. Absolutely. We, we see these parts of the business getting uh, focused on because there's, there's a lot of data. Right. And, yeah. and when you think about oil and gas, you know, most people think about the subsurface data and the seismic data. And that, right. that especially that's with true. the AI stuff. That's what we've been the last several years. That's what we think about. Right. right. With the machine well, learning that's, and everything. that's where a huge amount of data is. But when you when when you get above the surface and you, and you look at the amount of data that's collected, it's, it's substantial. And, and that data can be leveraged. It hasn't been in the past except for you know, uh, small or independent root cause analysis when you're trying to identify a problem. But now these companies are looking at how do I, how do I take all of this data and the real-time data coming off and be able to do predictive analytics or asset performance management or optimization. And, and so um, it, it's becoming a, a larger and larger interest of these customers because oil prices being down, right? It's all about cost efficiency, right? And these are the types of things that reduce cost. Right. They right, might not right. necessarily produce higher revenues, but they remove costs from the equation, which is fantastic from a bottom line perspective. Yeah, that's I mean, that's the theme in the industry now. Right. Whereas it's not so much about and we say this all the time um, on this and also on the on the oil and gas tech show, which is like the, the sister show to this one. But we talk about how the focus has changed. It's not so much about. Um, uh, proving up new reserves or new discoveries. That's still happening, but sure. it's not where the big investment is happening, right? So so um, uh, it, now it's more about how do I get more value from the assets that I already have, um, the producing assets that I have, or how, do I, or how do I get more value from whatever I just bought or acquired or merged with? Um, and, and, and so cost is the is is a big lever Co in that cost equation, is a driver. right? You know, cost, predictability, uh, resiliency. Uh, how do you stop things from from failing, right? And and that ultimately saves downtime and and pr provides a good return. Uh, By the way, I'd like if if you have any advice on that, just on a personal level, how do you stop things from failing? I would. Right. I could, I'm feeling like that might be. Uh, <laughs> I could use some guidance in that regard. Sure. But yeah. Um, so, so you guys are seeing, um, and of course, as soon as we start talking about about um, uh, about this kind of computing, yeah, that's uh, right in Nvidia's 
sweet spot. So, um, so I'm not asking you to do an NVIDIA infomercial, but how, um, like, does that give you a lens to kind of see what people are trying to accomplish and, and how much success are they having since this is the digital doers show, not the digital not doers show. So are you seeing people have success? Absolutely. Especially over the last year and a half since COVID started, right. And the downturn in the industry, um, my business has continued to thrive and grow during that downtime. And, and why? Because it, it's really focused on digital transformation and, and, and data analytics and data science and, and those types of things, which, which are all part of what companies are looking to do right now. We're, we're not based standard IT. We're not part of a, a refresh cycle that typically happens. People are adopting uh, accelerated computing, which is really what a GPU can do, right, right, uh, to solve problems that they couldn't solve before, and those problems in in this case are resulting in lower costs and higher uptime and things like that, that that help make these companies more profitable in a in a challenging market. Yeah. So when the rest of the market might be down, customers are looking for ways to reduce cost and become more effective and and you know the industry always comes out stronger afterwards yeah, because they've invested sure. in in this and that's been really good for our business and what we find is that a lot of the customers who are looking at um uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning how do they create autonomous operations and how do they not remove people from the equation but remove risk from yeah, the equation for sure. yeah, yeah and um that's increased significantly and i i think shell's announcement to commit and commitment to c3 for another five years demonstrates that you know there's platforms out there like c3 and others that basically are are making AI more available to everybody, right? By by creating easy to use frameworks that yeah. people can adopt, and non data scientists and and non technical users can can access and use data that they weren't able to use in the past. Right, quickly with just toolkits and not a, hot, a lot of. That's um, right. And we have, and we have of course now on the cloud platforms we have like serverless stuff that, that people can do and, and right. uh, um, all kinds of of new innovations, but I think that, um, but it begs the question, so if we're, if we're making it easier for people to do all of these really fancy things that they couldn't do before, we also know that um, like those things, those things have to get out of the, the proof of concept stage. Um, they have to get out of the the one person who who kind of came up with something really cool and mm-hmm. um and we have to be able to like like deploy those at scale in very complex environments if we're really going to get any value right because otherwise it's just made that like that one guy's job easier right but that's not really going to deliver value from a digital in fact deloitte deloitte keeps harping on this right uh about in their in their articles where um uh about and maybe it's one of the maybe it's McKinsey, but one of them is like, oil and gas has to begin to reinvent and rethink whole workflows, right. and not just have these little point solutions. So, um, so I don't know where I was where I'm, where I'm going with that exactly. But what what, what what so what do you start thinking about in terms of okay, now we've made it really easy for people to do a whole bunch of stuff, but how do I like leverage that across my business? Right. So, you know. 
rolling things out from an R&D perspective or, or a trial or a pilot perspective is sometimes very challenging. Uh, the cost to do that uh, is, is sometimes considerable depending on if you're going across geographies or if you're right, or right. going into areas that might not have cloud availability or things like that. But, you know, the solution stacks... you got to mention silos. Well, we always have to... We, Every every conversation that we ever have, always about technology initiatives in oil and gas, we have to talk about three things. One is data, which you already covered. Right. One is like organizational change, which we're going to get to, and the other is silos. So yeah. you have to talk about you have to, we can't have we have to have all those things. <laughs> right. So no, but go ahead. So you're so we we are we're trying to we have these complex like environments that aren't all nicely knitted together, right? That, that's right. And 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 there's there's a big fear of change, right? And like you said, we'll talk about change management, but but ultimately to to roll these things out and to put them in place. It is not a small task, but it can be very effective. But uh, a lot of times, unfortunately, they die before they ever get there, right? And, yeah, and, sure. And therefore, there's a lot of POCs and everything else that, that occur. And even though the company might see incremental value, if it wasn't budgeted or if it wasn't uh, part of the plan, um, unfortunately, it, it, it gets put on a shelf and, and maybe not implemented. But we're starting to see... Um, less of that, right? And, and what we're starting to also see is, you, you brought up Deloitte and McKinsey, um, but Deloitte recently announced they, they, they made a big acquisition of AI systems. Mm -hmm. And right. um, basically, they, they're starting to develop an AI practice, right? Because they recognize the fact that this is important to all of the industries that they support. And similar to an ERP practice or yep, a yep. Microsoft practice or, or something else, this is becoming more and more standard across the industries, and they want to be prepared to help their their customers with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I I could I could see where that would they would be in a unique um, situation there. But you said something um, so at the beginning, which is I, I don't. I don't think you said most of them die on the vine or something. Most of them die before they they get there. Right. Um, yeah. So if I'm if I am uh, if I'm the person who uh, at, at, let's say at, at a major oil company or even a minor oil company, and I'm trying to figure out how to move my digital initiatives forward, um, and I've noticed this trend where these very exciting, promising things sort of pop up over on one side. They never show up on the other side. Like, what do I do about that? Um, my my best advice is you've got to work across those silos, right? You've yeah, got yeah. to have. Yeah. I told you, know, you we'd say silos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got the data science team, which is a lot of times centralized, and you've got IT, and you've got the business, and they're all working, you know, across to to solve problems or to show initiatives or to do a pilot. But a lot of times they're not all engaged at the same time on the same pilot. And with, with outcomes and deliverables, with, with a plan that says, here's, here's what's going to come out of this. If we're successful, these are the criteria we're going to meet. And here's the next location or the next location. And, and I think... Isn't that kind of like, though, I mean, aren't you describing sort of like how you plan like projects and, and get them done? <laughs> you, you I are. mean, we are a project-oriented industry. It would seem like that should come somewhat natural to people. It should. But yeah. once again, this this is still relatively new, right? Yeah. Although some companies have very big data science teams. Um, well, we're still it, trying to work out like who's even in charge of it in some some places, right? Yeah, uh, in yeah. some cases. 
yeah, right? Yeah. But, you know, some people are doing it better than others. Yeah. But, um, you know, everybody wants to be in the game. Um, I think it's just a matter of time before the knowledge level catches up with the desire for it. Right. I, I think... I think there's plenty of uh, people that have been repositioned out of their their roles as an engineer or a geoscientist or a geophysicist, and now they're labeled a data scientist. Yeah. And they might not be proficient, and they they're still learning, and they're still trying to understand what the capabilities are. Yeah. And so a lot of times, um, it, it's just not scalable yet. And I think more and more these folks are going back and and getting the training, but I think you're going to see a lot more fresh grads that are coming out of schools in these areas that also have the Python experience and the development for AI and the data science backgrounds to make the industry go faster again. And and I think with the the energy transition and all of the spotlights, and, and you've got a lot of big oil companies that that are talking about alternative energies and, and becoming energy companies. And my hopes are that that will attract more people to the industry moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because, once again, you you can get a job working for a social media company, which is great. Right. Or you can help supply the world with energy. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. one, one, one is probably better for mankind right yeah no that's that's uh yeah i have a i'm actually going to be i'm actually giving a talk on that very subject here in a couple of weeks but um so uh i want to i want to break down a couple things though that you said um so so first um i think the moral of the story and some of what you were saying there is like hang in there like keep like 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 even if it feels like um, you can't make as much progress as you want. Like things are coming together. This is a complex problem that we're solving, and um, and like if you just you know new people are coming into the mix, new capabilities. We're understanding it better. The org chart is aligning. People are beginning to understand their new job a little bit better than their old job. Like it just takes time, right? To to like 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 nobody should be throwing in the towel right now just because like uh, this is too hard. Absolutely, and and there's plenty of resources out there, right? If you're a cloud user. Azure, AWS, Google, Oracle, they all have resources to help you. Yeah. And NVIDIA and, and I'm sure some of our competitors have resources available to help. And once again, it, it, the goal is to, to, to help do more with less, right? And, yeah, and, yeah. and to automate things that, that people couldn't do before and, and to give more insight so that people can focus on the science and not on uh, the, the data. Yeah, well, it's an, so an interesting thing because you mentioned, you know, the cloud providers, um, Nvidia. You're talking about the people who are actually providing the computing capabilities, right? Um, and traditionally, in this industry, we wouldn't have really thought to go to those people to help us with like. Um, how do I solve like these higher level functional problems? But, and I'm just gonna make an observation, I, I think it's true, you can tell me. Um, you know, it, this, this is a much, it's a different world. This isn't like, like you bought a bunch of servers and you loaded them in racks and you know what to do with them. So um, and if, 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 if people like Nvidia or the cloud providers want, if you want your customers to actually get value out of what you're selling them, 
it makes sense for you to invest in the skills to bring to bear to help them, which is why people like you, who are longtime industry people, end up working, you know, for for the people that make the GPUs, right? right. Is that is that fair no, to you're, say? Is you're that kinda, exactly right. You yeah. know, I I, I called a uh, I I talked with a industry company today and I, I got introduced by one of their product managers that I've known for a while and when I was talking with the CTO today he said well you know Liz left the company and I'm like I didn't know that yeah, she yeah. just made the introduction two weeks ago yeah. and he said yeah she went to AWS and yeah. you know and and you know once again the the folks at AWS and Azure and Google, I know all these folks and they, they all come from industry and same with Dell and HP and a lot of the OEMs, yeah, yeah. right? More and more, the expectations from customers are that you're solving problems that you're not providing hardware or software, right? And so the, the need for companies like ours to be able to understand the problems and help the people solve the problems that they need to uh, solve is tremendous. And so, you know, one of my mentors always said, um, Find a problem, solve a problem, build a business. And, yeah, you know, yeah. once again, you know, from our perspective, we can work with customers to identify a problem, but it, but it's helping them to solve that problem and then replicating it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, sure. and I think that these cloud providers and others are, are now starting to see that, you know, it's not about selling IT infrastructure. It's about helping them on their digital transformation journey. Yeah, it's, I mean, um, uh, you know, it does sound a little bit like a um, like a commercial, but uh, I, I think it's I, I think it's true. And, and you're right uh, because I I scroll through my LinkedIn contacts every once in a while, and I go and and like it just seems like there's this continuous these people that used to be at all of these industry places, and now they're at all these at all these tech companies, um, which which means that what that means to people, you know, in the context of you know, this is the digital doers show. We're trying to help people, give people guidance on how they can be successful and actually get value from their digital initiatives instead of having them sit there not going anywhere. Right. This is a resource that's available now, really, that like a legitimate resource that's available that maybe wasn't in the past, right? Is is the the the, the computing providers are investing in the talent, as I said before. Absolutely. So yeah, so that that's it's really cool. Um, um, let's uh, but since we since we got into the cloud thing, um, and I know you guys uh, I know you work with people in and cloud scenarios, multi-cloud scenarios, hybrid cloud, on-prem, like you've got, kind of got your like fingers in all those places, sure. right? Um, what, it, 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 does, does that strategy have anything to do with my ability um, to deploy these things and get value? Um, or is that just like, is that just like stuff for the IT folks to just figure out, or is that part of my? I, this is this is sort of like I'm leading the witness, but um, but but let's talk about like how do I? Because traditionally, you know, if I'm a if I'm somebody on the business side, it's like okay, the IT folks like they figure out all the boxes and wires and everything, right? Like, sure. I don't need to think about that, and. I think what we're seeing is that like some of that planning needs to kind of come forward into the business plan, right? Is that is that yeah, fair? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, ultimately the business has the problems, right? They they they're trying to solve something. Right. Right? They're trying to achieve something, right? And and when they figure out what they need to achieve, then then working with 
cloud providers or software companies or all of that is important. And, and my assumption is, is most of the cloud providers, similar to us, probably has way more software engineers than they have hardware people, right? Yeah, and so yeah, it's, true, right? it's not yeah. about the infrastructure, right? The infrastructure is a means to the end, right? But it's the software stacks and, and what you can do to solve the problem that, that's critical. And, and, you know, once again, once you do that, then you're gonna consume the hardware at whatever scale you need to solve whatever problem it is in whatever length of time that you have. But, you know, the, the question is, is how do, you, how do you most effectively solve that problem? And now with clouds, everybody has access to what, what I always say is unlimited resources, right? It used to be- In principle, yeah. There's you no, know, yeah. There, you're not constrained by how many like computers you can have running. Right, right? It, it's yeah. a con the constraint is, is how much can you afford to spend? Right, right. right. You know, so anybody can get 20,000 servers if they make a phone call and either call a HP or a Dell and have them delivered in, in five months, but they might not have the money to afford that. Right. Alternatively, they can call up Azure or AWS or Google and ramp up those servers and use them for 20 minutes to solve a problem and uh, then they can ramp them down and move off to their next problem. So it's, it, you know, but, uh, access is not the issue. Right, but this has an impact now, like my whole budgeting uh, exercise has a different dynamic now, right? Because it used to be planning and budgeting is basically like, okay, we have this many and we need this many more. So now our cost goes from this to this, right? right? So, um, and, and, uh, and you mentioned something when we were chatting earlier um, about like, like thinking about if you want to do anything extra. It used to be if you wanted to do anything extra, you asked the, the server folks, right? Like, hey, do we have something that we could run this thing on? Right. right? And um, now we're optimizing because we don't want to pay for extra stuff in right. the cloud. Yeah. So, so how, how does that come together? Like, how do I get my hand, arms around the, the financial planning and budgeting for, for that, for my unlimited computing right. uh, capabilities. So it, it depends on the type of business that you're running, right? If it's a services business, then chances are whatever costs you, you know, you incur, you've probably built into the proposal to the person that you're, you're Presum selling to. Presumably, ideally. right. Or you might right. be like looking for a job somewhere else. Right. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but if it's for internal use, um, then once again, you, you, you know what you typically would, would go out and buy with CapEx and depreciate and how much resources that, that is. And you work with the cloud provider to, to get the same or better um, performance at, at the same or better price. And a lot of folks won't necessarily always find a better price depending on the amount that they are going to consume. But it offers them the flexibility to turn it up and down. And, right. and for small companies, that, that's critical. And for companies that have the cyclical industry experiences like Where us. Where can we find one of those, right? Yeah. Right, it, <laughs> it, it definitely helps, right? And so that flexibility might cost you something, but you know, uh, there's a lot of CFOs out there that I'm sure are crunching numbers to, to figure out what the, what the best impact is to their balance sheet and P&L. Yeah. The, the, the downside um, for that might be instances where you have spare capacity on-prem and you've got projects that you want to do and you have cycles to go do it, right? And, and when you have spare capacity on-prem for whatever reason, you can go do innovative projects that may or may not turn out to be something. 
um, when you're paying for every cycle, then you've got to really think about whether or not that, that random innovation project is worth X number of dollars to go kick off a job in the yeah. cloud. So you got to have, and I think this is what you said earlier uh, in our, in our pregame uh, warm up was, was you have to like budget, you have to put innovation in your budget. Right yeah. um, now, you could argue that there was always a cost innovation because somebody's got to do the work. But usually, you know, you could like lean on people and get them to do it after hours and all, all those kinds of things, right? But like the server is is is. Yeah. Right. I, I'm not recommending that anybody lean on people and get them to work. But you know, somebody gets real excited about a project and and they can, you know, your 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 labor cost doesn't really change too much unless it's a really big innovation project. Sure. But well, yeah. if, for example, if you if you wanted to run more scenarios on a reservoir simulation, right? You know, if if you know, you might typically run 10 and you've budgeted for 10 and that gives you a good result, but if you think of something else you want to do and you say, "Well, I'm going to run an extra 10 scenarios over the weekend, nobody's on the system." You know, you can do that, but if if it's not on prem, if it's in the cloud, you better make sure you have budget to run those extra yeah. 10 scenarios. But, but I guess, you know, it's really just a matter of thinking about it. So you mentioned before um, this flexibility is going to cost you something, but it's going to cost you more, but it's worth something because you've got the flexibility and it's going to give you uh, kind of an escape hatch if you need it down the road. So if you look at things in, you know, like geologic time, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna see it might feel more expensive right now, but when you look at it over the course of you know a number of years, the innovation thing just has to be baked into that same mindset, right? Into that same sort of like formula right. for what makes financial sense, not this quarter, but what makes financial sense over over longer periods of time. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah. and I think a lot of companies do that from an R and D perspective, but you never know when a project's gonna pop up that. Yeah. You sure. know, you just want to try this because you think it may work. But the cost of doing that is is potentially significant depending on how big the project is. Yeah. So that that actually kind of ties into the the change management topic which is um now we need a um we kind of need some sort of a like a evaluation, prioritization, high grading process for our new ideas right? right so we need to depending on how many like and a lot of companies are really trying to foster like creative thinking and, and new but ne but now because there's more cost associated with those new ideas we need some way of like looking at them and making very deliberate decisions about which ones we're going to do and which ones we're not going to do well you know i i think that's true but at the same point i think when people are looking at innovations they've they've if they have a goal in mind of solving a problem, you know they can recognize what what the cost of getting there is going to be. From a change management perspective, though, it, it's not just coming up with the solution. It, and and back to our earlier conversation right, about right. what does it take to scale that or roll it out. Um, a lot of times with with these types of things, you're you're going to be collecting new types of data. You're going to be having to tag data. You're going to be having to work differently and you know when you're doing asset performance management or predictive maintenance things it's going to feel very unnatural to take yeah. something down and fix it when it may not appear that it needs fixing but statistically and all of these things it yeah it, it's okay, likely to enough. fail right right and so once again this is where this is where 
you know, eventually people have to trust the system and and the numbers, right? Right, and, right. You know, um, you know, we just went through this whole COVID thing, and I'm not sure that people trust trust numbers or they hear things. Yeah, and, that's, you know, all of a sudden it's like we're not you know, probably improving what, trust. What yeah. do you believe, yeah. right? You yeah. know, it's new. It's a new experience, and therefore, until people get used to seeing results that are, you know, proven repeatedly and they can start to trust the models even though somebody in the R&D or a data scientist might have looked at it and say yep I can predict with the 95% accuracy the guy that's been doing this for 20 years you yeah. know he, he, he's not going to he just it, not right? going to maybe right. buy it yeah well that yeah that's true so what um um so what can so let's talk about that the change management the organization and, and <laughs> it's true we always we always have to talk about data, silos, and culture. So um, you mentioned uh, earlier when we were chatting uh, about um, somebody somebody brought like their head of change management to to an executive briefing or something, right? Um, yeah. Is that is that the kind of stuff that we need to that like 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 what was that all about? So. Prior to COVID, uh, when, I, when I was going out to California a few, few weeks a month to visit, uh, we'd have a lot of executive briefings. And so we, we would have companies and chief digital officers, technology officers, uh, you know, leaders of, of change and, and digital stuff coming out to our headquarters. And we hosted one of the operators and, and their uh, uh, CTO or CDO office out there. And they brought five or six different executives that were responsible for different areas. And the part that really impressed me is, is they had one, one of the leaders uh, was the head of change management for this digital office. And, you know, once again, they weren't there to evaluate technology from a, will this work at our retail gas stations or will this work in our refineries right, right. or this? She was evaluating it in part of the conversation because she had to figure out what is the change required to make this successful if we were to implement it at our company. So there, there you go, right? And, and the fact that you were surprised tells me that, that, that not a lot of people do that. No, right? yeah. no, I think, I think typically we get technical folks and we get business leaders and all of that, but, but the change management is always secondary. And, and they were building in the change management into their decisions, knowing that, you know, we can invest a lot of time and money, but it may fail if we don't have the right change management strategy or if it's just too big of a change. Yeah, that's, it's really interesting. I mean, you're right because um, typically the change management people are like the catchers in the pitcher-catcher relationship, right? Like, like, yeah. like somebody throws something at them and then now they got to catch it. And, and putting those people um, up front in the process is, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's a whole... There's a, as a whole new dimension to the... Well, it the, should be part of the decision-making process yeah. as far as which projects you're going to do. Even if something has a good return, but the chances of the change management working are small, it, it may not be worth the time and effort. Right. Right? And, and people ignore that sometimes and just assume that a top-down right. edict or something else is going to make things work. And I think those of us who have been working, I won't even say in the industry, know that culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Yeah, is what yeah, they say. That's so that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, but that comes back to your trust thing as well too, right? Because now the 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 vision and strategy people have to trust 
the change management person who says, like, we can't make this work, right? right. Um, which, that's going to be a new dynamic. Right. People. Or this yeah. is what it's going to take to make it work. Right. We need these type of people engaged in the project. And sometimes those people aren't freed up to go work on that side of yeah, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's the, it's the reality check, really. Yeah. Right? It's good. That's, that's really good. good uh, that's a good observation. Good. Um, uh, I mean, that right there is, is a really valuable I think piece of the overall uh, recipe. So, what else can we? Um, so, let's see. I'm, 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 uh, I'm thinking about. Uh, we're talking about things that uh, you know, basically removing the obstacles to help you like move these initiatives forward. Is there anything else, uh, just from your vantage point, as you work with different people across the industry that you that you see um, uh, that could be a you know, a lever one way or another and making these things fly? Well, um, I, I think, you know, one of the things that, that I've been talking a lot in presentations and other things is, is this concept about federated learning. And what oh, yeah, federated okay. learning is, is basically the ability for multiple companies to collaborate, either companies or even within the com same company, to build AI models that um, could change the industry, right? Raises the entire industry. Right, and right. so the, the concept of federated learning is basically where you're training a model with your data, but the data never leaves your premises or your environment, but then you share the weightings of that data. And if you think about what that could do for mm, the industry mm -hmm. is you could have four or five different majors and a couple of service companies all sharing video feed from their operation sites. Yep. And basically all of a sudden now we could build a model that detects PP&E gear, right? Hard hats, gloves, right, right. Uh, steel-toed boots, other things, or somebody smoking or somebody crossing uh, you know, a line that they shouldn't be. And once again, as that training occurs, all of a sudden everybody's building their own model with their own videos, not sharing stuff. But eventually the, the model weightings get escalated to a bigger model that becomes smarter and smarter and it helps the entire industry because nobody wants to see somebody get hurt, but the, the amount of investment to build it specific for your company might be something that, that's overwhelming. And so I think we're gonna start to see this, this collaboration. I hope we're gonna see this collaboration among industry leaders to build these industry models that can help the entire industry either be more environmentally friendly or be safer or yeah, yeah. things that aren't necessarily a specific competitive advantage, but good for the entire industry. Well, that, yeah, that's really good. Um, and, who, and maybe that'll be, maybe that can get woven back into that, uh, the open, what was it? The open AI, uh, open, open AI, AI yeah, 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 yeah. Should, but, but, but I think it's a good point. And the industry, I mean, we mentioned this uh, quite a lot, but, um, like 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 the spirit of cooperation and collaboration i mean people are much more open to i mean we saw this with the osdu to some extent to to saying to moving away from the historical position which was everything is competitive right um right. and uh but there's some like a greater good that can be achieved uh you know where we're, we're, we um because and, and, and i've I've made this observation a couple of times now uh, that 
we're not, so oil and gas companies aren't just competing with each other anymore. The industry is competing, right? right for its own, for its own uh, viability. And so let's think about like that competitive advantage. Right. And if we can make, if, if we can really separate what's, what's really competitive amongst ourselves versus what's not, exactly like you said, then there's all kinds of, um, you know, greater, the, the greater advancement of the, of the industry that we right. can see. And, and once again, it's, it's, it, it's how do we reduce the, the cost of production? How do we produce the lowest barrel cost per BOE or whatever? And, you know, there's a lot of costs that companies incur for doing things that they need to do that doesn't necessarily provide a competitive yeah. differentiation. And those are areas where I could see the industry getting together and collaborating to remove those costs from the entire industry, right? right or right. reduce them considerably. Um, those are where I think the digital aspects are gonna work, especially now that more and more companies are, have employees that have been working for home and, and, and they're not sitting in the same area and they're collaborating via Zoom. That's perfect yeah. for companies that are sitting in different locations around the city, around the country, around the world. Right. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. That's actually um, that might be a good place. That's probably a good a good happy note to wrap to wrap up on. Um, I'm, I'm watching the I'm watching the clock here, and we could probably we could probably keep going, but probably people will stop listening. So, <laughs> um, um, so what uh, if if people want to? Uh, so if anybody wants to learn more about what what you're doing, what NVIDIA is doing, obviously there's a website called NVIDIA.com. Sure. But, but what, uh, what, anything in particular that you want to, uh, and we'll put it in the show notes, so yeah. so uh, that you want to call people's attention so, to. So I, I think the big thing for, for from an NVIDIA perspective is you're using NVIDIA GPUs, whether they're in the cloud or on-prem, or you're thinking about an edge device that can leverage accelerated computing, give me, reach out to me, mspieler at nvidia.com. Drop me a note. Um, we'll hook you up with some systems engineers. We'll help you. We, we don't have services. We provide support. Let us let us take a look at what you're trying to achieve and, and we'll point you in the right direction. It doesn't matter to us where where you choose to deploy. It's it's just ask for help. That That's the thing yeah. I'd leave you. We've, we've got plenty of smart folks and yeah. there are engineers and geophysicists. I just hired a PhD petroleum engineer wow. right on my team out of A&M and, uh, and you know, brilliant people to, yeah, to help yeah. with the industry. That's fantastic. So mspieler at nvidia.com. Right. We're not going to put that in the show notes because, you know, who knows what would happen. That's but, all right. Uh, but uh, fantastic. And, and of course, uh, nvidia.com has got a bunch of stuff. And I know you're very easy yep. to find on LinkedIn. So, uh, so Mark, thank you for... Um, oh, my pleasure. Yeah, it's yeah, good it's to really see you really, again. Yeah, it's always, it's always fun. So I, I do have a, a few things that I got to mention here before we, before we wrap up. And I'll try to, uh, try to be quick. Um, uh, the first, well, I got to thank Top Coder again. Um, you know, I, I, I can't encourage it enough, especially as we're talking about how to get all these, how to, how to move these digital initiatives forward. Uh, what Top Coder can do uh, just might be uh, the thing to help you get these things unstuck in terms of the skills and the people that can be brought to bear in a very 
innovative way um, and, and very fast. So have a look at topcoder.com. Also, uh, you connect with OGGN. We have got uh, all kinds of, we, we've, we've just launched some, some new shows, uh, one of which is this one. There's also uh, a, 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 a new podcast called Energy Scale-Ups, hosted by Jose Solis, which is looking at how uh, small companies uh, become uh, big companies and all the, all the great stories of how they've been able to do that. We've got one uh, with a very uh, fascinating title called Journey to the Energy C-Suite, which uh, is hosted by Ryan Sanford. And um, and so if you're like, if you're uh, like, like if you're, if you're like Mark and you've been in the industry for, for quite some time and maybe you've been, you kind of got a good senior leadership position and what you're really trying to figure out is how do I become a top executive? Um, Ryan's show is, uh, is, is looking at, he's got some great guests and some very senior uh, people that he's talking to to share all their wisdom and guidance. Um, in case you're, in case you're frantically trying to write all of that down that I just said, all you really have to do is go to OGGN.com. You can see all the new shows. You can find out about the new events. I think I mentioned this at the beginning where no, I didn't mention this at the beginning. We're starting up the OGG and happy hours again. Uh, the first one's going to be on June 24th, and uh, those are those are epic. And uh, you can also connect with us on LinkedIn. And you should really, if you're still listening to me at this point, it means you're committed, and that means that you should join the OGGN Street Team because that is a great way to get involved, do stuff with us, do stuff for the industry, get out from behind the endless Zoom calls, and uh, just you know do something that's uh, kind of mentally healthy. So you can find that. There's a LinkedIn group for the OGGN Street Team. And that is going to wrap it up for today. As always, we got to say a special thank you to our audio fixer, Mr. Mac Roman, who is uh, handling, uh, who's handling this, this show. Um, he, he makes us all sound great. He takes out all the parts you're not supposed to hear. And uh, so thanks to him for his talents. And now the very next thing that you're going to hear is Savannah Wilson, who is going to tell you about our events on deck. Hey everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for June 2021. This month we have six events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting two events. One is online, and one is in person. For our online event, we're hosting a live stream titled Deal Value Creation, M&A and ONG. This is going to be on June the 2nd. And for our in-person event, we're relaunching our happy hours. It's been far too long since we had a good happy hour, so I'm sure plenty of you will be excited to hear that our next happy hour will be at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on June 24th. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. We hope to see you there. Other than OGGN's events, we have two in-person and two online events. First up, we have our two in-person events, which are the Energy Capital Conference on June 2nd at the Omni Houston Hotel, and the U.S. Police and Fire Championships from June 10th to the 21st. The Police and Fire Championships will be hosted in multiple locations, so make sure to check out our events newsletter for more information about that. Next, we have our two online events, the first being the Post-Industrial Summit Series. This event actually started on May 4th, but it'll be ending later this month on June 22nd, so there's still plenty to see. And our second online event is the Big Data Industry Summit from June 9th to 10th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. 
that's all for June. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Come back next week for yet another exhilarating expedition into the very real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.